since I've been a priest, I've struggled to put words to my biggest pet peeve to those who come to the sacrament of confession and confess in a certain manner. And it happens with those who come every week, every two weeks, once a month, every few months, or even if it's been decades. It's a very common thread. Anyone committed, it goes through all age groups and under all kinds of sin. And it's a pet peeve because I wonder if it's a truly valid confession. That is, if God truly forgave the person. And it's this tendency we have to confess our sins for the only purpose of cleaning our conscience. The one reason why we want to go to confession is just simply to have a clean conscience and to be able to receive the Eucharist. And that's a real problem if that's the only way we confess. Because it's very similar to the way that a spoiled child might relate to an authority at school. That, sure, they'll say that they're sorry for what they've done, but if they have no plan to reform their life, then they remain in hatred of that authority. And this is the issue, is that a lot of times, because we're not truly Catholic, because we're not truly incarnational, we, there's a rupture between our desire for confession and our desire for repentance. There's a big rupture between our desire for confession and our desire for repentance. We want to do away with the guilt of sin, but we do not yet want to reform our way of life. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is how do we get to that point where we know the problem is sin, right? We know that we don't like to have the monkey on our backs, but we're not quite sure if we are ready to love the Lord yet and to leave the idols behind. How do we do that? This is what we heard in the first reading from Joshua, who Joshua is the next leader after Moses. So they've just come into Canaan, but they have not yet entered the promised land. They've just left Egypt. They've left the idols. But before they enter into the promised land, they've confessed their sins, so to speak. Before they enter into the promised land, Joshua makes them make a decision. And if you were listening to this first reading, and reading it on maybe a Magnificat or a Missalette or anything, you notice that there were a lot of verses that were missing. We heard Joshua chapter 24, verse 1 and 2, but we didn't hear verses 3 through 14. We only we fast-forwarded to 15 and 17. And the content of the first reading was Joshua... You know, he stops them right before they enter the promised land. Are you sure you want to do this? My, me and my family, we will serve the Lord our God. You cannot serve your other gods. You either serve the Lord your God, or you serve the other gods. And they agree with Joshua. said, we will serve the Lord our God. Now, in doing that, they obviously fail right just in the very next book of Judges. But they do have a desire, and they are able to enter into the promised land because they make the decision. They make the decision to reform their way of life. And so what happens, though, between verses 3 and 14, whenever Joshua poses the question and they make the response, is that Joshua reminds all of the Israelites of everything that God has done up to that point. 
He was the one who brought you out of Egypt. He was the one who sent the plagues to the Egyptians. He's the one that helped you cross the Red Sea. He's the one who fed you manna in the desert. He's the one who gave you the law. He's the one who sent hornets upon the Canaanites. He is the one who drove out the Hittites. And whenever Joshua is saying all this, what he's doing is that one by one, he is knocking down every single idol and showing that none of them give life and that only the living God can give life. And this is the missing ingredient to our confession, is that we come into confession with wanting to get the monkey off of our back, but we're not able to look at our sins clearly and realize that they lead to death and have a healthy hatred for sin, a healthy hatred for sin. What this hatred for sin does is that it puts us in a position of Simon Peter, where we heard in the gospel that though we might not really know where Jesus is going to take us, we know that he's the only one that has the words of eternal life. Right? That now, whenever Christ proposes the teaching of his body and blood sacramentally in the Eucharist, Jesus turns the question to Peter and says, will you leave as well? He says, Lord, this is hard teaching, but to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's not enough to just simply come into the sacrament of confession, confess the same sins every week or every other week, and if they are habitual and they are grave, and expect that God is pleased with us if we have no desire and no plan to reform our way of life. It's just not going to do it. What kind of relationship do we expect to have with the Lord? The only relationship that we want to have, if that's the case, is to have a clean conscience, to not feel bad about what we've did. But we're not yet ready to enter into the promised land. We're not yet ready with Joshua and the Israelites to enter that place. We're not able to reform our lives, or at least have the desire to do so and be able to fail at it. And so we ask the Lord can give us the courage, the courage to look at the idols, the sins that bring death that we can be found worthy to enter into the promised land where he lives.